here's the thing. Uh, growing up, there's a lot of things that sayings that you hear and just don't make sense on first glance. At least for me. So for instance, one of the things I heard growing up was, uh, it's what's on the inside that counts. Now, when I liked a girl, or when I thought the girl would like me, and I try to pursue this young lady as a youngin, if they thought I was ugly, they weren't giving me a light of day. They didn't say to me, Will, you know, I li it's, you're ugly, but I like your insides. <laughs> so, and I, and I was not mature enough. If I didn't think the girl looked good, I'm sorry. I didn't say, well, I'm, I, I like her inside, so I'm going to go out with her. That saying didn't make sense. What do you mean is the inside that counts? Well, what about the outside? <laughs> and so on first glance, that saying made absolutely no sense to me. Now I'm older. Uh, by all means, I think the outside, I think my wife is beautiful. <laughs> but there's, you have to have more. Uh, if you're beautiful and you just have a terrible personality or your character is just off, then that beauty just is not important. So then all of a sudden I realized, oh, okay, there was more to that saying than I thought. Or another one I hated hearing was, it's not about winning or losing. It's all about how you play the game. I hated hearing that. And partly why I hated hearing that, because I lost a lot. <laughs> and nobody ever gave that speech to the people that won. You never win the championship in the country. You guys, guys, it's not about winning or losing. It's all about how you play the game. I hated it. I didn't want to hear it. I would never use that saying. That's what I said to myself. Some of you uh, don't know, but uh, there's a, we have a local YMCA here, and um, I coach, I love basketball, I'm a coach, I coach basketball. I coach, uh, we have two teams, we have a seven and eight team, and we have a nine and 10 team. Uh, the seven and eight year olds, uh, you know, some of the underground kids are part of it. We have uh, Xander, and then we have Elliot, my two underground superstars, they're playing. Great season, you know, loved it. I also coached the nine and 10 team. My son is on that team, uh, along with uh, Renee. Uh, that's a pretty good squad. And um, I mean, we had a great season. The first game of the season, uh, we faced this team. I mean, it's just back and forth, terrible refs. We're mad at the refs, but I mean, we're going, they're hitting three pointers, you know, just, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, it went to overtime, so normally, there's a game going on on one side. This game, go everybody came over to our side to watch the game. It was just that crazy. I mean, it's just boom, 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 boom. And then on the last shot, the kid gets the ball, and the ball's like down here, and Renee puts his hand on the ball and like pushes it down, and the ref calls foul. And I'm just like, no. I'm like, listen, physics. If you hit hand, ball goes up. If you push on ball, ball goes, I mean, just, you know, but. The ref never ever says, oh my bad. Once they call it, it's over. But we lose to this team. I'm like, okay, you know, great first game, guys. Let's keep going. And uh, 
Playoffs come. We're the four seed. And guess who we meet in the first game in the playoffs? Same team, first game, single elimination. And again, I mean, it's just, this team is just tough. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But, you know, at the end of the day, we, we come through. We win the game. So, but it's single elimination, so we get no rest. Right after that game, we have to play the number one seed. And they've, just been, they've been sitting, rested, watching. They have ten players, we have six. And we just got done playing our hearts out. And again, the kids, they play tough, they play hard, but we just fell just a little short. And right before the end, you know, my son, he's pretty emotional, and so he starts crying because he, he kind of gets the feeling like they're about to lose. And, uh, and so soon as the, you know, the game uh, buzzer or whatever goes off, it's like I have six boys, and they're all about to go just all tears on me. And I'm like, okay, no crying. <laughs> Pick your head up. You know, be proud. And I'm like searching for words. What do I say to these kids? What do I say to let them know that their season was not a waste, to let them know that their effort was not a waste, to, for them to be proud? And of course. But it's not because I was being cliche, because it was the truth. And that's how I feel sometimes about Jesus' saying, like, you know, I hear it the first time, kind of like uh, the young lady said over here, it's like, what are you saying, Jesus? That just sounds like, you know, it's just on the inside that counts. There has to be more to this. And I'll just give you a word of advice. If you read something Jesus says and it doesn't make sense, there's usually more to it. And it's probably on you to keep reflecting, keep searching, uh, instead of thinking, Jesus just doesn't know what he's talking about. I, you probably shouldn't do that. And so, for me, this, this, when we get into this verse, I feel like um, there's more to what might meet the eye. I don't know how much you got out of that, uh, but there's more to it than what meets the eye. And um, so, obviously, we read the first passage of the passage, and the disciples just, it's just, when I read that first part, I just think, uh, these guys are just like a regular Mashari. I mean, it's just like a bunch of us, when we get together, a bunch of dudes got together and an argument started about, about who's the greatest. Sounds pretty normal. <laughs> uh, just things that dudes, we do. So Jesus, it says Jesus knows what they're thinking. So it says Jesus gets the kid, brings it aside, and to settle the argument, he says, the least among you is the greatest. Now, I was just trying to imagine, how did that go over with the disciples? Like, did that really make sense to them? I mean, we were at, at the end of the year, we went to uh, some restaurant to celebrate for Mashari, and we're arguing about who's the greatest basketball player. You know, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, you know, is the Warriors the greatest team ever? And, you know, we're debating. And if somebody would have pulled that line out, the least is the greatest. <laughs> we would probably give them the, the just, it's, you know, Mario Chalmers is the greatest basketball player ever. It's just, like, what are you talking about? It's just, you know, so that wouldn't make sense. I'm like, so, okay, Jesus, you, there has to be more to this than that. And I truly believe, like I said, uh, 
If you would listen, Jesus always has something to say. And I really do think Jesus has something to say to us about this. Um, is there some water I can get? So the first question I really want us as a community to wrestle with this morning is this. Because when we start talking about greatness, what we're really talking about is ambition. So my question to you is this. What is the role of ambition in the life of a believer? Is ambition vice or virtue? Is ambition something we should pursue or something we should run far away from? And if you pay attention to the passage, you notice that Jesus, I mean, Jesus can, I mean, not just a few verses back, he scolds them for their faithlessness. But if you notice, Jesus doesn't scold them for their ambition. What Jesus does is he recognizes, okay, you have a desire to be great. But your understanding of greatness is off. So what Jesus decides to do is redefine greatness. Because if I can redefine greatness, then ambition, your ambition to be great would not matter if I can redefine greatness. So that's why he calls over the young, the young man. Because in that society, and I think it's been said many times from this stage, the, young, the kids were the least. Essentially, what Jesus did was recognize, okay, you think I am great. And so I'm going to, in a sense, pass on my greatness to this kid. And then I'm going to say, however way you welcome, when you welcome him, when you treat him right, it's like you're interacting with me. So if that kid who was considered worthless, I pass on my greatness to him, and he's great by no merit of his own. He's great because he is my messenger, he's my representative, and as long as he stays submitted to me and he acts under my authority, he is great. You know, I'm a high school math teacher. I teach at Blake High School. And uh, in, so every year at the end of the school year, we have uh, something called uh, Senior Takeover. And basically, it's the seniors get to imitate their favorite teacher, their favorite administrator. Uh, nobody ever signs up to be the math teacher, though. I don't know why. But, um, but for, for us as teachers, it's hilarious because the kids would dress, whoever they decide to, to be that day, they go all out. So they would dress like you, walk like you, talk like you, act like you. And you just like, I mean, there was one kid who basically had no beard, but the person he was imitating had a beard. So he went and got a full just like, just, I mean, it was amazing. And there was another kid and I thought, well, that's dedication. It was a guy, and his teacher he wanted to imitate was a girl, and he dressed exactly like her. <laughs> I mean, they take it seriously. They go all the way. If I'm going to imitate, I'm going to imitate to a T. But the kids don't like that day. The, at least the kids that are not seniors, they don't like that day. Partly why they don't like that day is because all these kids are... Now, there's one thing to imitate a teacher, 
It's another thing to imitate administrators who have power. So they walk around with the walkie-talkies, and they're swarming the school. See, normally administrators are busy, and so they don't have time. But you can't skip on that day. Because not only are they swarming, they know who you are. And they have authority to write you up. And they're like, you can't. It's like, yes, I can. So for that day, they get to act under that authority. And, it's, and, it's, and everybody has to respect it. But here's the thing, y'all. In the kingdom of God, that authority that Jesus has given to us, it doesn't last for just a day. Guys, we can act under the authority of Jesus each and every single day. So the question for us really then is this. Whose authority are you standing on? Are you acting under your own authority or are you deciding to act under the authority of Jesus? Because anytime you choose to act under the authority of Jesus, I guarantee you, you are great. What is some, one of the uh, ladies mentioned earlier, Jesus essentially leveled the playing field. You don't ever have to worry in the kingdom of God about whether or not you're important. You don't ever have to fight for significance. No matter your title, no matter your role, no matter your experience, no matter how small you feel, in the kingdom of God, you need to know today you are significant. You need to understand that in the kingdom of God, the least among you is the greatest. Through Jesus, ambition undergoes kingdom redefinitions. Jesus says to us, whoever amongst you wants to be great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must become your slave. Underground, every single one of us, every single disciple of Jesus is called to be great. Every single one of us is called to submit to the feet of Jesus, and every single one of us is called to serve our brothers and sisters. We're all called to be ambitious. We're all called to be great. Where we get it twisted is that our definition of greatness is off. What's your definition of greatness this morning? Now, the second point I want to make is this. So now you're like, well, walk around. I'm called to be great. Uh, if you heard in the, uh, the, the uh, passing, one of my favorite songs by uh, Show, Show Baraka, uh, and he says, in the song it says, I want to be great, I'm on my way, way up, way up. And in the song, part of Lion Love, he says, mediocrity is a disease. Give me some space. And I love that line, because it's so easy to just be. It's so easy. The fight of my life is, I just want to just be. I don't, I'm not striving for greatness. I'm just trying to be. But God is calling us to be ambitious. But here's the thing. When you're ambitious, you have to have a heart check. How do you know in your pursuit of greatness? How do you know in your ambition whether or not you're operating under worldly ambition or kingdom ambition? How do you know your ambition is not off? 
And I think that's where the second part of the story comes in. So there's like, it almost seems like there's no transition in the story from Jesus talking to them about the least among greatness to <laughs> verse 49 and 50. To me, it's interesting. It's like you get those first few verses where they're just off. They're being corrected. And it's almost like the way the story lays it out, they don't even like respond back to Jesus. The first thing to do is to call, put somebody else's business out there. It's like you get called out, and you don't respond to being called out. Jesus, let me tell you something. Let me tell you, this other day, you wouldn't believe this, Jesus. This other day, we saw this one cat. And they were driving out demons, and they were using your name without your permission. The audacity, Jesus. They're not even one of us. Yet they decide to use your name without your permission. But don't worry, we took care of it. We stopped them. We got you. We're your boys. And, says, and I think to their surprise, Jesus looks at them and just like, leave them alone. So what's there? Like, what is Jesus trying to show us there? Like, why does Jesus just dismiss them? Because right away he could see they were not operating under kingdom ambition. You want to know how you can check your heart to know whether or not your ambition is, is in line with the kingdom? How do you respond to the success of others? If you want to know, is your ambition on point? The first thing you can ask yourself, how do you respond to the success of others? Kingdom ambition always makes room for other people to succeed. Worldly ambitions always pushes back when others try to succeed. Are you making room for others to succeed? In their failure, the disciples were not willing to see other people be successful. But guys, we're called to something different. Kingdom ambition means we long not just for our own success, but also the success of others. Some of you are like, of course, Will. I have no problem with other people's success. They do their thing, I do my thing. I ain't worrying about them. Right? You know, Scripture says we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths. Do you really uh, make room for other success? Do you really believe that in your heart? Well, the test of that is, does it, do you confess it with your mouth? Are you, are we as a community committed to wholeheartedly and generously applauding the work of other success with our mouths. If you say, I believe and I, I, don't, I care about other people's success, do you actually affirm their success with your mouth? That's the test of your heart. 
doesn't matter if people are, we have to be able to look at the success of other people around us. We have to desire the success of people around us. And we have to verbally, I'm saying, as a community, we have to verbally commit to affirming other people's success. It has to come up with our words. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we need to live for the applause of men. The only, only uh, applause we need is the affirmation of God. However, what I am saying is that ambition is like money. It corrupts your heart. And the only way to know that your heart is not corrupted, you have to give it away. So if you want to check on your heart, am I corrupted in my ambition? Give away applause. Give away praise. Give away affirmation to others who are successful. That's how you check your own heart. It's for your own heart. You know, um, like I said, I'm a teacher, and we always have these faculty meetings. Because, uh, you know, we have different departments in the uh, school. We have math department, reading, science. It's a, ma- it's a, it's a school of the arts, so we also have the music, uh, you know, Blake has one of the best fine arts school in the county. So, you know, always win a lot of awards for band, for acting, you know, just painting, all that stuff. And we always get to these meetings, and they give out awards and trophies. And I used to have a problem at these meetings because, you know, we'll get there and be like, well, you know, we'd like to congratulate the, the fine arts department. They just, you know, won, a couple of the kids got their scholarship to so-and-so, and they just won superior, and they just, you know, this person just went and danced the greatest dance to have ever happened in the world, and this person painted something better than Picasso, and just all this stuff. And I'm just, just like, can the math department get some love? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we can try to put on a show, but nobody ain't going to come present to you how to solve this equation, and everybody leaves. And so I, used, I had a problem at that meeting because I wanted some love. I wanted some affirmation. And I had to wrestle in my heart because it's like, is what I'm doing essential? And until I settled in my heart, until I realized that not everything gets the spotlight, And even if it doesn't get the spotlight, I need to do it with fidelity, with integrity, and with everything I got. I need to do it unto the Lord. That's the only time I was able to sit in that space and actually sit back and realize, okay, first of all, we're on this, it's the same school. We're on the same team. Sometimes, guys, I feel like we struggle to offer praise because we feel, we feel ignored. God, I don't know what you do in your microchurch. And some of your microchurches will never, ever get the spotlight. And you need to be okay with that. But you still need to know God sees. God knows. And he honors what you do. Do it faithfully. Do it with all you got. And settle in your heart that even if I never get applause in this life, I know that I will get one from my Heavenly Father. 
I want to make one more point about ambition, and I'm going to try to bring this to a close here. Um, so I've been married for over 12 and a half years now, and um, it almost never happened. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> when I was uh, in college, I, I thought that I mean, I, I left high school, and I thought that I had some things going for myself. thought I was a pretty good-looking guy. But for some reason, the, the girls didn't think the same. And, uh, man, I just, I couldn't, I just could not luck out. I would get shot down repeatedly. And, um, but, I, you know, I, I was, Brian was around at the time, and Brian was a cause of my heartache. Because Brian was kind of like one of those guys that if you told Brian you like somebody, uh, his thing was, go tell him. And like, I'm not ready. He's like, well, what's the point of sitting there fantasizing about how this, you know, you're in love with this person and they're in love with you? And what if they don't like you? Why don't you just ask them and then either you get it over with because they don't like you, move on with your life, or you can actually start a relationship. So that was his thing. So, you know, I made a mistake and told Brian I like this girl. And um, he's like, call her. I'm like, what do you mean? Call her right now. It's like Friday night. I'm like, I, I, so I get on the phone, call her. And sure enough, she was not interested. So Brian brought me pain and rejection. Um, it's not Brian's fault. But I got to move on with my life. So that was the blessing there. But, so I was kind of careful. You know, I, I kind of I had a, tried a couple of shots, you know, a couple of other relationships, got shot down again. And also, you know, I was, I was slowly losing my confidence. And I went out to, um, it was supposed to be like a Fred Hammond concert, went with some friends, and uh, we were hanging out at McDonald's. And I see this, this, uh, <laughs> see this young lady. I was like, man, she's, she's, she's pretty fly. <laughs> but you know, you can't, you can't like act all like, you know, you have to play it cool, you know, just, just, just play it cool. But you know, I kind of, you know, I had my, I was like, man, I'm interested, but I didn't really want to say nothing. So I just, you know, whatever, we had a good time, went home. But then somebody came and told me, Will, you know so-and-so? Like, yeah. She likes you. I'm like, oh, snap. It's over. That, it's over. Cause I'm like, there's no rejection there. There's no suffering there. I know the answer to the question. <laughs> this is, you don't understand. I was so comfortable. She and some of her friends came over. I didn't dress up or nothing. Some like basketball shorts on. I was all sweaty, t-shirt, whatever. I had a boiled egg in my hand. And I just walk up in there. I'm like, hey, can I holler at you for a sec? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so we go for a walk, you know. Da 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 da. Put it out there. And of course, to answer the question, yes. I'm like, this is how it should be. Go home, I'm cheesing. I'm good. No rejection there, no suffering. <laughs> nope. She calls me later. Nah. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, I think you're too smart for me. What? 
So I'm just like, okay, whatever. I'm like, I'm done with this. But I really did like her. So I go to Brian, I'm like, Brian, man, this girl, I don't understand, I'm confused. I, her friends tell me she liked me. I asked her out, she said yes. And she comes with this crazy line. And I don't know, I'm like, and of course, he's like, uh, do you think she's worth it? I'm like, yeah, well, go after her. So I go back and I ask her, talk to her, and she's like, yeah. I'm like, cool. We go off for a little bit. She shuts me down again. This time she says, I don't pray enough. I promise you, she would have done it one more time. We wouldn't have been together. But two was it. But why do I say this? Listen, what I'm trying to get at is this. If you try to pursue greatness, you can't be afraid of rejection. You can't be afraid of suffering. Uh, it says in uh, verse 51, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus knew what Jerusalem represented. Jer Jerusalem represented pain, suffering. And he didn't try to go around. He didn't try to, he, it says he went straight to Samaria. Samaria was the most direct route possible to Jerusalem. So he set his mind on there, took that route. And of course, even in Samaria, they reject him. And as we all mentioned, kind of like with this, you know, the disciples, they get offended and they, they're going to want to call down fire. And again, Jesus sees how they operate and understand it's not kingdom ambition. And so he just, not only does he dismiss them, but he dismisses, he does not worry about the Samaritans. Because Jesus understands that our humility, not just that we make room for other people, not just that we're from each other's work, but our ambition has to be clothed in humility and the willingness of sacrifice. I, there was a, I heard a uh, corny joke. I always hear a lot of corny jokes um, about the ham and an egg. A ham and a pig, I'm sorry, chicken and a pig. <laughs> you should always see how this story's gonna go. I'm sorry, but I'm gonna say it. So chicken and a pig walking, having a conversation, and want to start a restaurant, okay? Chicken says, hey, pig, we should start a restaurant. We should call it ham and eggs. You interested? Pig thinks about it, says, no. Chicken says, why not? And the pig says, that's because you'll be involved, but I'll be committed. The pig understood that all the chicken had to do was give some eggs. And the chicken was good. But to get some bacon, he had to die. And the pig, the pig was not ready to die. Now, I know a lot of you women, you call us men pigs, but truth be told, a lot of us are more chicken than we are a pig. We're more willing to do the convenient thing than to do the sacrificial thing. And that's not how it's to be in the kingdom. The worship team can come up here. Um, in the kingdom, we have to be willing to be sacrificial. In the book of John, we're told that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So we'll start with that first line, for God so loved the world. You have to understand, that's ambition. For God so loved the world. It doesn't say God just loved one city, one people, one person. For God so loved the world. The ambition of God is worldwide. But then you see the twist. It's not that he took 
It's not just that for God so loved, so he took. It says for God so loved that he gave. Kingdom ambition gives, it doesn't take. You measure, we measure our ambition in the kingdom not by how much we can take, but how much are we willing to give. For God so loved the world that he gave. And he didn't just give something small. He didn't just give something insignificant. That he gave his one and only son, the thing most precious to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And what was the reason for the sacrifice? It was not to better himself. The sacrifice of God was not just for his own behalf. The sacrifice of God was for on the behalf of everyone else. That he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Ambition demands sacrifice, y'all. The greater the ambition, the greater sacrifice required. In the book of Colossians, we're told that for him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And I'm trying to remind us this morning, the passage is trying to remind us this morning, guys, that all things, including our ambition, was created through him and for him. God wants to take our fallen ambition and redeem it for the kingdom. I'm calling you this morning underground to come and lay your ambition down at the feet of Jesus. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. In the same manner, he took the cup, which is the covenant of my blood. Every time you eat this bread and drink this blood, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Come underground. Come and submit again to the feet of Jesus. Submit all of who you are. Submit all of your ambitions.